When you're sitting in the doctor's lounge or the social worker's office, you hear stories. I have my own stories, of course, but there are so many good stories to steal. I worked with a gentleman last month who had a few good ones. In the army, we often use social workers as psychologists. One of the good things you work about working in the army in general is that you really get to stretch the limits of your skills and get better. That applies to my field at that time, family practice in particular. Family practice isn't the same as general practice, you see. We have to have the skills to prove healthcare for the whole family in an integrative manner that's sensitive to the biological, sociological, and psychological environment of the patient. That's what family practice doctors specialize in. So when I was in that practice, you might see me in the ICU standing over a dying man on a vent one day. And the other, maybe I'm delivering a high-risk baby from a mother who has preeclampsia and is about to hemorrhage. Then on a completely different day, you might see me in clinic, just counseling a depressed woman who can't have sex without pain. The arm is a great place to work because it really allows for all those options. You take care of patients from all ends of the spectrum, and generally you don't have to worry so much about insurance or whether or not people in your area practice the same way or lawsuits. Don't get me wrong, those are still problems for us but they're not nearly as horrible as in civilian practice where everything's driven by whether or not you'll get sued for delivering this baby when there was an OB-GYN down the road from you. In the army, we're the most deployed specialty. Family medicine is. We were the backbone. We're it. So like us, the social workers stretch to their full potential, and many of them even perform therapy. So I'm sitting in the office with this gentleman. I'm in a big, comfy leather chair. And the lights are low, and the tick, tick, tick of my tapping at my computer pauses for a moment, and he tells me these stories. First, he tells me of a soldier who came in with a snake bite on his thigh. That's an unusual place for a snake bite. It's not venomous, and it's happening in the patient's home. So why would a snake bite your thigh? That's not usually the nearest place to the snake. I'm a bit afraid of telling you this one because I know someone out there is suicidal and wants to hurt themselves without hurting their family. But having seen what happened to my family after my little brother died, and that's another story for another time, I know from experience that a family is destroyed and torn up by accidental death as well. It's not just suicide that hurts families. Your family will suffer no matter how you go. So with that caveat, I will continue. So the social worker spends some time with the soldier. Maybe he sits down on the side of the bed, like I do when I interview patients. After some talking, the soldier admits he is suicidal and that he's disappointed that the snake was not venomous. See, he was in his basement. The snake was coiled up around a post. It was dark, damp. He grabbed it by the neck and he jammed its teeth down into his thigh. He was trying to kill himself in a way that would still allow his family to receive his life insurance. But he failed and got a second chance at life. Stick with me here because you'll see these stories have a common theme. I lean back and the tick, tick, tick of my computer keyboard picks up again as I try to work on one of the patients who came in that day, a little girl who was seeing demons. The gentleman social worker, a former soldier himself, turns sideways in his rolling office chair and smiles as we chat about his adventures, getting lost in the Grand Canyon with coyotes about to eat him, and about the lizards in his backyard. I actually prefer to spend time with uh, people who are much, much older than me, usually over their 50s, because they tend to have more interesting stories than people my own age. Well, let's not go into detail about that. So this gentleman social worker tells me this. Young soldier wants to kill himself. 
He takes a rope, ties it around a fan. He's in his barracks alone, so no one will find him. If you laugh at this one, it's okay. You're allowed to laugh at this one. It, even though that's super messed up. I, I laughed when I first heard the ending. Okay. Um, but on a serious note, this is why sometimes in the army we'll actually keep a patient an extra day. Because um, they can get up to things when they're in their barracks alone or, or something could happen. Um, we might fudge the diagnosis a little bit. It's not really fudging because it is a social medical concern if we think this patient might die of pneumonia without someone to take care of him, um, or the patient might hurt herself. Or, But if we were civilian, the insurance companies would not like us keeping people for these social reasons. But we have to do it sometimes. Anyway, this young soldier, he's in his barracks alone. He gets a chair. He's in the pits, really in the darkness, but not the kind of depression where you can't move. Really, really, really depressed people can't move, can't eat, can't do anything. I saw a patient once like that who was dying of starvation, but she didn't care to live anymore. We had to admit her to the ICU, and she just didn't care. When you're sad, you overeat. That's a kind of depression. It's something we ask on the questionnaires. But there is a point to depression where you no longer overeat, where you don't care, you can't care. You can't enjoy things. It's like the organ that enjoys things has been removed from your body. Like you've lost a limb, almost surgical in its completeness. Those kinds of depressed people often cannot commit suicide because they can't make a coherent plan. If something triggers them to action, rises them out of that motionlessness, then they can kill themselves. That's where this patient was. He ties a rope to the ceiling fan, pulls up a chair, ties the rope around his neck, knocks the chair over. The rope is too long, and he's standing on the floor when his sergeant walks in and sees him. It, it's funny in a morbid way. I'll get to the point of all this with a little more sensitivity, though, with this last story. This was the first story the social worker told me, but it fits best last one when I tell it. Social worker knew a man who climbed the Golden Gate Bridge before they put out those nets to stop people from jumping into the water. Imagine that climb. Cold steel in your fingertips. Maybe it's a little wet from the rain and the salt spray and the wind as you start to get height. The spray of the water is so far, far below. You can hear it. You keep climbing. You're escaping from something, escaping from the thing in your life that makes it impossible to live. Like a baby bear climbing a tree to hide, you're climbing the bridge. You get to the top. It's dizzyingly high now, with cars wishing below on one side. And then the pure ocean on the other side, just gray and cold. It's so high that you're supposed to pass out when you hit the water. And then you die. You drown. That's what this man expected as he jumped. And the moment he jumped, he suddenly regretted his decision. That's an unfortunate place to regret your decision. Um, but that's how it happens, you know. I've never taken care of a suicidal patient who didn't somewhat regret their attempt. At least a little bit. Um, the organism fears the unknown. And death is an unknown. The body knows it needs you and doesn't want you to leave, maybe. I don't know. I don't know why suicide is such a bad idea. But for some reason, everyone who's tried it seems to regret it. Nature knows something we don't. Nature's whole purpose is to be alive, make babies, make songs. 
Someone said to me once about the incredible songs of the birds in Puerto Rico in the jungle. She said, isn't it incredible that they're all just making those sounds so they can have sex? No, I said. They're all having sex so they can keep making those sounds. Nature has us alive for something, so every day you wake up alive and you've beaten out the 150,000 people who died worldwide that night. You've won nature's game. You've won the game of evolution that night. All this other stuff, credit cards and governments and banks and jobs, all the stuff that makes us depressed is all a distraction, almost an unreality. All the animals know it. Our job is to be alive. That's why the promise of eternal life is so alluring, isn't it? Because our job is to live, and we're still figuring out what living really means. Before I get all Jesus freak on you or something, let me get back to the story. Guy jumps, and he's just discovered the meaning of life, essentially. He regrets it. He hits the water. Cold closes over his body as he sinks like a stone, like bullet through butter, deeper than he's ever fallen before. Will he crush his body against the bottom? No, he comes back up. He finds himself drinking in air, floating on the water, and holy crap, he's alive. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. He's cold and out in the water, but he broke the surface and lived. And then something brushes his foot. Isn't it horrible to survive a fall like that, only to be eaten by sharks? That's what's going through his head. He's thinking about teeth ripping through tendon, arteries spurting into the water like a cloud of ink, pain greater than any he's experienced before as his body tears asunder. That's what he's thinking about when a harbor seal pokes its nose out of the water. It was a whole pot of them who'd seen him fall. They were trying to keep him afloat so he didn't drown. Some things in nature stay alive by taking life, and others stay alive by giving and preserving it. It's relieving, isn't it? Even if he felt cut off from the whole world, like no one loved him, like he was worthless, he was worth something to the seals just because he was a mammal and he was alive. That's all they needed. You're always worth something to someone. Sometimes you haven't just met the someone yet. I hope if you ever try to kill yourself, you fail just as safely as all of these soldiers did. These happy stories are rare in medicine, and I won't tell many of them because. Most of the patients in the stories that I tell don't make it. You remember the ones who don't make it much more than you remember the ones who do. And every time one of them dies, the planet loses something and it knows it. Whether or not you believe that, whether or not you believe in God even, it's a fact that your unique genetic code is lost forever when you die. You don't just scar me for life or whoever other doctor is working on you. You take away some of the biodiversity that protects us as a species from disease that provides us with the opportunities to evolve and adapt and then to take care of the planet we've been given. When you asked God what he was going to do about all the suffering in the world, his answer was you. I'll send you. You're the solution. And we lose that when you go. So whichever perspective you choose, whether the scientific or the metaphysical, however you look at it, when you disappear, we lose. I've lost so many. That's why it's important to me that you live.
And guess what? I am back. I, I am Brandon, the producer of this, this show and the producer for the Emergency Exit Podcast and all things on the Emergency Exit Podcast Network. And once again, after hearing this great story, I'm sitting here with Jen Finelli, doctor, writer, author, adventurer. Call her lots of things. She's... Uh, She's seen some things and had some experiences. Jen, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I have been called lots of things in my life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? That's that's the thing. Now, if they're true or not, I'm I'm not to make that decision. Um, you know, I uh, that's hearsay. Anyway, jumping into it, hearing this story, man, I got I got a couple questions for. Uh, this is this is a really deep one. Um, I'm ready for them. I I love questions. All right, so for. A story that's, I mean, suicide is its, you know, theme, I guess the topic, you know, such a, such a dark, serious topic to begin with this one. This is weird. It's a suicide story, but nobody dies. It's, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? I, it makes me so happy when I heard the, the, uh, when the social worker told me the story about the guy with the rope that was too long, I laughed. And it was it's nice to be able to laugh about things like that. It's sad because the person felt awful and they wanted to hurt themselves. But it's also so wonderful that they didn't, you know. It's 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 and and when you see dark and awful stuff all the time, you get the right to laugh about this stuff. At some point you get the point where you're like that's funny. That's morbid and funny. And, and it's okay. Cause that's how you, I read this awesome survival book. Um, well, it wasn't that awesome. It was okay. It was a survival book. Um, and one of the things that this psychologist guy kind of figured out is that you have more resilience and you survive better in horrible situations. If you are able to laugh about things, he talks about two rescuers sitting at the bottom of a cliff um, because they fell down trying to rescue somebody and that somebody is now dead. So they're sitting next to this dead body at the bottom of the cliff. And one of the guys like starts joking with the dead body. He's like, how you doing? John still dead. Uh, and the other guy is like horrified by this, but it helps him to survive. So tying that back into like talking about suicide, um, humor is one of the healthier and more mature defense mechanisms that can help. I think that's why so many comedians are depressed or, or so many mm -hmm. depressed people become comedians because it's a very functional way to handle depression or a terrible situation is to laugh at it. Sure. Bit. And it's, I think it's that, you know, Robin Williams quote or some other, you know, uh, quote that somebody's pulled that you know is floating around on the internet somewhere but it's you know he became a comedian to, so that nobody has to experience what he you know or what they experience on the inside they want to try and make that change and Aww. you know it is really really weird when you when you think about it though yeah that yeah some of you know the funniest people alive have also been you know the most depressed and saddest people but that's how they they kind of cope with it is through yeah. humor it's sad if you mention that it's Robin Williams. That's a sad one. Yeah, I know. R.I.P. But that's good though. You know, the man brought brought joy to to millions of people. You know, over and over. I mean, you could. I guarantee you, you could watch any of his movies. Probably Mrs. Doubtfire are gonna be on the top of my list, and you're gonna get some good laughs out of it. I mean, come on, with him and all that whipped cream on his face. Oh, hello. You know, come on. You can't tell me that's not funny. I've been told that I need to see um, Patch Adams because I haven't seen it yet. 
And apparently, oh, you should. I mean, it's it's about like a doctor in hospital settings and yeah, stuff, I've right? I've been told that it's a lot like. Um, I've been told that it will make so I hear two things every time uh, someone tells me about the movie is when they tell me oh this is like you and then it's got a very sad ending and I'm like oh shoot I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I want to find out my very sad ending <laughs> that's not good yeah uh, do you, yeah see I don't know the sad ending do you by chance have you spoiled no, it for I yourself I have not. Yeah, neither do I. So, so. we'll have to – we can do a special episode sometime where we watch Patch Adams and talk about it or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a live after taping of Patch Adams movie that's Forever. been out for 30 years or something. I mean, but like I said, it, it's just one of the greats. Or him as uh, the genie in Aladdin, it's – he – the man brought joy to millions of people several times over and – you know, it was only after the fact that we all learned of his, you know, inner demons, you know, his depression. Depression is depression's a bitch, man. Um, I mean, I've I've suffered, you know, from, a you know, a pretty heavy bout of it as well. And so it's like, I don't know, like hearing these stories, it's like, you know, you know, I, you, you don't know the dark unless you've mm-hmm. been in the dark. And, you know, when it. When the terms, you know, mental illness, suicide, stuff like that comes up, it kind of piques my interest a little bit. But to like hear this story, because you hear them and you kind of you you see where it's going, and then you know halfway through, you know how it's gonna how it's gonna end. But this one was was not that. It it was a it was a happy suicide story. Um, do you know what what became of the the soldier uh, after that? Like the rope um, guy. Yeah, the I mean, rope guy he, got hospitalized. Yeah. Um, the the other two guys um i don't so i asked i asked what happened to all of them in the end uh obviously all three of them ended up being hospitalized the seals guy i think did well the um snake guy i think did okay i don't know in the long term what happened to that rope guy uh because a lot of times um, when, once you've, once you've had an attempt, so there's a high risk factor for you having, it's, it is a risk factor for you having another attempt, right? Um, sure. it's, and that's why it's one problem is that not all social workers and psychologists are well-trained in understanding the difference between an attempt and intent and suicidal ideation, Right. A lot of physicians, I really shouldn't say psychologists so much because it's mostly physicians who are not well trained in it, unfortunately, Um, because there are physicians who have who are brilliant and they have a lot more experience than I do, but they really can't tell the difference between ideation and intent Um, to kind of break that down. Ideation is like someone who thinks about being dead. Um, So some people have what's called passive um, chronic suicidal ideation. They I had I have a patient like this who 100% of the time is always thinking about being dead, uh, always thinking like in the back of their mind like it would be better if they were dead, right? But she would never act on it. She's never had an attempt. She doesn't have any intent to do so, um, and she it, it people who have a chronic intent it serves some kind of purpose, right? Um, where it's it's mm-hmm. like like um, like you think like I think okay I failed I did something wrong in this situation oh I wish I were dead 
or oh um this person was mean to me oh i wish i were dead it's like it becomes a comfort like escape thought um i've like i mean, i'm not gonna lie i've been in that um chronic boat before um and mm-hmm. it, it's 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 where that the the issue that's scary with those people who have chronic ideation is you it's hard to tell who is going to turn from ideation into intent and from intent into attempt um and that's sure. why you always want to make sure if you find out someone has ideation it doesn't automatically now this is for physicians to figure out but it doesn't automatically mean the person needs to be hospitalized sometimes it just means they need to talk to somebody sure. so and that's that's challenging because you'll have physicians who will jump the gun and they want to hospitalize everybody and for a soldier that can ruin your career um it can ruin it can ruin your career because there's still a lot of stigma against mental health issues in the military um i literally spoke with a sergeant and i was like honey can't you see that you're um i I didn't say something like you're being too hard on the soldier but i'm like i think i may literally have said like you're that's kind of mean isn't it um and and because how she had been talking to this soldier and she's like no there's nothing wrong with it um because how she'd been talking to the soldier was do you need to go to behavioral health do you need to go to behavioral health is there something wrong and she was like no i wasn't mean i offered her behavioral health and it's like no 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 you were punishing her with behavioral health it was you were making behavioral health a punishment um and that's not that's not how it's supposed to be. But unfortunately, that is how it still is um, in a lot of ways. Like there are parts of the army where um, you'll bend over backwards to try to help a soldier um, to the point where it's almost ridiculous. And then there's parts of the army. So like um, in the Air Force now, apparently they can't yell at you. They have to hand you a card. I don't know. This is a rumor. I'm not in the Air Force. We we judge the Air Force a lot because <laughs> they get to wear uh, umbrellas and we don't. Um, but so that's the rumor, right? Is that we can't you is that you can't even yell at them anymore in the Air Force, which is ridiculous because you know a jihadist isn't going to hand you a yellow card, um, you know. So you have to know <laughs> yeah. how to handle that. So so there's that balance where you have sergeants like this one I'm talking about who she's seen horrible things and she wants her soldiers to be able to handle it. She wants her soldiers to be tough. But are we destroying our soldiers mentally before we even get over there? Right. So that so it's like, how do you build up that resilience so that you can handle tough, tough, tough stuff? You don't do that by sh- by by um, overprotecting people and handing them yellow cards. But on the other hand, if you're threatening them and you're you know, they're not allowed to take care of their own mental health. Um, that's not you know, that's not the answer either. So it's a very challenging, ongoing discussion that the military is having with itself is how how do we help our soldiers um so you have physicians who will pull that trigger too soon they're like oh this soldier's crazy they don't need to be in the army they're you know probably going to kill themselves let's let's quickly get them up in a hospital and on the other hand you'll have physicians who oh he's just a baby he needs to go out you know and and they won't pull the trigger fast enough right so that's a tough a really tough call um and so that's the difference between ideation and intent. Intent is like you you want to do it and, and you are thinking about doing it and you're trying to figure out how to do it. Um, so intent is, is, yeah, I would kill myself if I could figure out how and it wouldn't hurt my family um, and it wouldn't, you know, X, Y, Z reason that's holding you back. Um, I, I would I would definitely do it. And then plan is the next step, right? So that's the next question we ask is, do you have a plan? Um because if you have a plan, you need to be hospitalized. 
So, it, you know, it's like kind of PSA to people when they ask, you know, don't just ask your friends like, hey, are you suicidal? That's not clear enough. Like you want to break down those four things and figure out, do I need to sit with this person and not let them go until I get the police? Or do I just need to make sure that we get them someone to talk to, you know, and you really shouldn't be having to make that call. It really should be like, okay, if they're having, you know, really bad ideation, you want to make sure you get them to someone to talk to. But on the other hand, you need to know if it's an emergency. If it's like, if they have a plan, don't leave them. Don't let them out of your sight. You know, don't, um, don't, don't let them go anywhere. If they have a plan, they need to be, they need to be hospitalized. Um, because that's when you, you move from, from plan to attempt, um, is very, very, very easy. So anyway, that's, how did I get into this explanation? Oh yeah. So that's, that's kind of a lot of these soldiers who have had past attempts, that's a red flag for, um, for not doing so well in the future. So I hope rope guy did well. Um, I don't know much about, about what happened to him in the, in the end. Uh, well, going back to the, the guy who pretty much had the self-inflicted snake bite, where did where did he go just like pick up a snake it's at? texas like, man <laughs> it is, oh it was, it's it, was texas. Here, it was in the great state of texas okay so he could go outside find one somewhere if he lived out all right so that's not too out of the no, question that's i was um, a little scared right. about recording that one because um and and i guess i want to be careful about the things that i say also um about myself and my my history um, cause my history has been, it's, it's always real complicated when you're a doctor because your doctor needs to be mentally stable, right? You need them to be making smart decisions for your health that aren't clouded, um, sure. by anything, which is why, of course, somebody who wants to hurt themselves, it doesn't mean they want to hurt other people. People, I think there's another distinction that people don't know how to make is like, oh, you, you want to hurt yourself. You must be crazy. And you want to take out 50 yeah, other people. Crazy or, is not yeah. a medical term. <laughs> first off. No, absolutely and it's a very not. different, um, a very different desire most of the time. Um, so you know, with that caveat, I'm not crazy," said the crazy person. Um, but the <laughs> moment that I heard about his, this guy's strategy, I was like, "Oh my goodness!" So my first thought was, "That's so smart," and that's I think that's very scary. So I, I was a little cautious about wanting to even share that story on the podcast because I don't want someone to then hear that and oh that's how I can do it without hurting my family because that's a lot of times people's protective factor right is your protective factors I sure, don't is hurt. how much are they going to hurt yeah who's exactly left. and so yeah. um so I was a little afraid of scare of sharing that but which is why I shared it with the with the caveat that so I've gotten to see um so my little brother 21 years old died in a hiking accident very recently um, and one of the things I was very mad at him about when he died was, first of all, I'm the oldest. I'm supposed to die first. So that's not fair. And another one is he's made it absolutely impossible for me to ever kill myself was was one of the thoughts at the time when I was very, very depressed because um, medicine will do mm -hmm. that to you. Um, it was like because I because I've seen because I know that even if it's an accident, your family will be tore up. So if you die of a snake bite. Um, self-inflicted or not they don't they don't want your life insurance they don't care about your fucking life insurance policy they want you so so just kind of 
emphasizing that again, that having seen it, having seen what it does to a parent, having seen what it does to siblings, um, I think his girlfriend turned out okay, but you know, it's, it's not, um, you know, I broke down crying the other day, yesterday in the supermarket because I was walking with my husband and I saw a Monopoly game and my little brother used to collect Monopoly games. Um, and so now every time I see that, it's going to be, you know, knowing that my little brother is dead. Um, and he didn't kill himself. So, so it's not, um, just death itself is a awful thing to inflict on your family. So just because this guy was clever and figured out an accident safe thing, um, no, that's not. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't end the suffering. It actually shares the suffering. Mm. No, the suffering's, yeah, it's still going to be there. Um, but you know, in this person's mind, it kind of rationalizes Hey, it won't be as. Oh yeah, bad. it know, was so I smart. Can, I can see both sides. Well, that's the thing. There. Is that's that's yeah. one of my fears. Is that that's a very smart. It's it's incredibly smart. I was like, oh my goodness, that's 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 what I'll do. You know, like not I'm not going to do that. But it was that's. It's. It's. I don't want to be giving people um, a smart way to kill themselves. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you have. Just objectively say, hey, if you if you were going to do it and this was your goal and wanted to make it seem an accident, that's that's a pretty good. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I'd hate to say it too, but I mean, that's a he he, he thought that out. Now he didn't he didn't know you know he must not have been a a, a native Texan. <laughs> no, because um, <laughs> I mean, really, the only we've gotten most you know the only poisonous ones you need to worry about are just a handful of snakes so anyone you run into is most likely not going to be poisonous but you know i don't know um and then let's let's touch on the the guy who who climbed the you know the bridge and jumped down um and you know the the seals under him were after he hit the water kind of helped keep him afloat that's pretty – that spoke out to me. That's pretty – because, like, I don't even know. I, I try to just think, like, well, what are the SEALs – like, did they – I don't know. They didn't – they couldn't have thought that, hey, he just tried to kill himself. But, I like, I don't – but, I like, I don't know. I can't think of any other, like – maybe they just know us humans are not a threat to them. And so, like, they thought it's, hey, this guy's in trouble. He needs our help, and we'll kind of – float around and help him out or like I don't I don't know but that was very incredible to me in hearing that well, story and the dolphins why do dolphins sometimes do that now dolphins are are awful they're the rapists of the sea but um every now and then you know you'll have an animal that just chooses especially mammals choose to just rescue some other mammal I don't know if it's maybe this is a warm-blooded creature it's going to drown let's keep it from drowning like just maybe it's the same thing when we see a you know, you. Why do you care when a cat is, you know, sad by the side of the road? Oh, because cats are the best creature ever, and we should worship every single <laughs> you sound one of very them. Very Egyptian. Maybe that you know. Maybe they're like, this is a cute little kitty cat. It's gonna drown. Let's not let this furless, bald, ugly kitty cat drown. Well, well I can like, I can why? rationalize that from from our standpoint as being humans and having, you know, evolved, but from like, you know, a a, a sea creature, you know, a, a sea mammal, I I would like to think that they don't have very complex thoughts. 
Um, and so in order to, to draw that together, like that shows some complexity in, in thought and it kind of makes me, maybe they're more, maybe the seals are more advanced than we think they are. Maybe they're the ones in control of the dolphins. <laughs> the, the underwater conspiracy. I, I yeah. Have... <laughs> yeah. Maybe... I have to say the one thing that I have come to appreciate with all the, so I have taken eight years and then some of science stuff, you know, plus that studying higher level um, biological sciences. And I have to say it's come to make me appreciate that even so like even a little paramecium has desires, you know, people say, oh, you know, a, 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 a amoeba can't want things. But if you electrocute a paramecium when it's in the light, it will learn to hide from the light. And it doesn't have a brain. It doesn't have a complicated neurological system. It just somehow chemically, it's it's got very few cells altogether, but it chemically has learned light equals electrocution, light equals bad, right? If it could put that together somehow in its, in its very small amount of, of and, and they say, you know, they, I'll hear a science corrector, science teachers correct themselves because um, they'll say, okay, you know, the electron wants to be in the um, lower energy orbital. I mean, it doesn't actually want things. But what is wanting things, right? The electron is attracted, uh, you mm-hmm. know, to this. That's, yeah. that's a want. So, so it's, <laughs> I, I, I have all, it's almost become to me where all of life is so elevated it's and that's affected how i see you know just studying embryology affected how i see you know personhood and people and and so so does this does a you know four-celled blastocytic embryo want right where where is the limit in the things we want and and i i don't know it's made me want to be more compassionate to all creatures i'm not not quite a vegan yet because the hawk that killed my (laughs) cockatiel last week was not a vegan um and he must know something about the taste of meat if he's willing to do that it was horrible um but yeah because with talons and a beak like that you can very easily rip into seeds and stuff so yeah he he knows there's something in yeah some kind of protein why did why did you do that that was that was a jerk move but okay that's what he chose to do he chose to kill my (laughs) husband's pet bird and it was awful um it wasn't edit point it wasn't the one at the show was it it was the one at the show you don't have to edit Aww. point that. We can share that. People Aww. can know. Um, my poor Aww. bird got, got murdered. Um, it was awful. I drove. I I literally came up just as it happened. Um, it was it was a perfect instance of being there a second too late. But anyway, yeah, animals have some. Everything seems to have some kind of. There's a there's a there's a light in all the chemicals. The chemicals that we are it, are amazing. I I am very grateful and I I I have to offer some kind of praise for that. That's 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 ridiculous. It's ridiculous that the that that the seals know and and you know these a lot of these animals have language. Um people to study mm-hmm. language development study parakeet brains cuz parakeets are cheap, they're easy to kill and, <laughs> and dissect <laughs> and because they they have language with grammar. Uh unlike like dogs, they have meaning but not language, right? They can communicate yeah that's my name fetch i go get that thing but they don't have um you know different sounds don't have 
specific like morphemes or or um different grammatical structure whereas birds do um have that certain birds and certain whales and other stuff like that so I don't know you know but the thing that astonishes me is is the compassion is like what what makes because because if we're all um evolutionarily right the 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 binding thing of of evolution is trying to make sure your own seed gets gets uh your own genetic material passed gets, gets passed on right um mm-hmm. But I think it's it's like I think I may have said in this podcast or a different one. Um, I don't think that everything is singing and making beautiful displays to have sex. I think they're all having sex to keep the displays going, because otherwise, why would the you know what is the benefit of you know being compassionate towards a mammal that's not within your species? Like within your species, compassion makes a lot of sense because it helps all sure. of our genetic material to continue longer um but you know or is it that they there's an even higher compassion right where like what's good for the whole world what's good for all of us is good for all of our genetic material i don't i don't know but it's um i i I wonder if the reason that you know the seals exist to keep their genetic material going is so that we can continue to observe that kind of like wonderful playful um you know that desire to to Hey, help a help a brother out, help a fellow mammal <laughs> mammal out. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, isn't it strange? It's, it's strange how they. I can't imagine. I can't rationalize it other than, hey, this is a a poor, sad, drowning mammal. Let's keep it from drowning. Yeah, and for them to, yeah, to take that task on, it's it's incredible. And yeah, they know something that we don't. They're they're more powerful than we give them credit. That's what I'm chalking that up to. I think that they, I think that they are running, running the oceans, um, plain and simple. It's going to be the seals that we're going to have to bow down to, you know, when, uh, when they decide to take over. Yeah, they're going to take over the land too, because they're the perfect, perfectly equipped for it. They can, they can come from both. Yeah, yeah. I see, I see that. It's going to be the next horror movie. <laughs> I don't know if you saw Zom Beavers. It was. It's one of the worst horror movies out there, and therefore just fantastic. It's just the crappiest, like D-rated horror movie, and it's just wonderful how bad it is. Um, I don't recommend it for like children or people who don't like horror. Um, but it's it's maybe like that. Maybe it'll be evil seals will come in and murder yeah. us all. That'll be it. Damn it. That's it. We need to we need to prepare for that. Everybody, get ready for the battle of the seals. Yep. That's right. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's you know, it's it's good that, you know, I'm glad that you shared the story cuz, you know, we all we all know how most of these stories end up. Um which is, you know, not good for anybody and you know, closely involved to them. And you know, nobody really wants to hear those those sad ones. So, I'm glad when when somebody's got a, you know, an upside to one of the stories. Hey, suicide story where nobody dies. What uh, that kind of immediately gets your attention and you can get a few laughs out of it. And then you get to see some, some animals being bros. <laughs> um, I'd say it's a, it's a pretty uplifting story considering the, the topic. Now let's not discount, you know, depression, mental illness, mm-hmm. suicide, all that. It's a very real thing in our society that we are only barely learning how to like socially accept. Yeah. Um, which is ridiculous because it's, I mean, it's along the lines of just 
hey, my, 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 my mind, my brain is not producing the right chemicals or it's releasing too many. Like it's no different than, you know, hey, if you have a cold or if you've got some allergies, you know, your allergies are acting up like your, your body's just, you know, overproducing or underproducing something and the brain is no exception. But yet for some reason, just the, the knowledge of somebody having a, a mental disorder or depression, mental illness can be it can set them back professionally, personally, mm-hmm. you know, in all sorts of aspects when in reality it's no different than, you know, a regular cold, allergies, you know, it's something that can be treated. It's super damning. Um, I think I like to compare it a lot to some of the more complex chronic diseases like diabetes because um, there's a there's a multifactorial component socially um, biologically, other like things like that with diabetes, like there are things you can do like diet and exercise, but there's also, um, sometimes diet and exercise isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes there are some people. So I, a lot of type two diabetics, you can probably be controlled with diet and exercise, but at some people, you, it can be type one or type two diabetes you just have to get on that metformin, I'm sorry. And sometimes you may have done everything right, but you still have to get on that insulin. Um, just your pancreas is, is just not having it. Uh, and I think, and so far it looks like uh, research is showing that the brain is similar, that um, if you can get your multifactorial approach going, you're going to have more success. So, um, you know, a lot of times you may just need to talk to somebody. You may not need a medication um, because you can yourself rewire some of your uh, some of your chemicals essentially. Um, but sometimes, even if you've done that, that doesn't work. Sometimes you just you have to get on something else, uh, and that's it's. I think most of the time, um, so now doctors can be very judgmental about all these kind of things. I've had, you know, doctors can be judgmental about the non-compliant diabetic. So it's like, oh, you know, this person has diabetes and they won't eat right and blah, 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 blah. It can be the same way with mental health. It can be like, okay, you know, this person won't do X, Y, Z. This person won't attend their counseling sessions. Sometimes someone might be too depressed to attend their counseling sessions, um, which can be, that's, that's a huge challenge. I had a patient who was too anxious to go to her anxiety sessions um, that I was working my butt off to set up for her. And then she was too anxious even to have it over the phone. So how do you help somebody who's so anxious they can't, they can't, they can't do, like, then what? Then what do you do? Um, and there's a tendency from a physician's standpoint a lot of time to blame the patient and be like, well, you know, at some point they have to put a foot forward or something like that. And I, I always kind of want to remind my colleagues that I don't know if you've been there, but when you're there, you want someone to rescue you. You can't rescue yourself when you can't make that first step sometimes you need someone else to make that step for you and it's unfortunate and sometimes what's discouraging is when from a physician standpoint i'm making all the steps i can and the other person is making no steps but i understand sometimes because the patient can't make any steps and i have to just keep trying to make and and then if we both run out and we both can't do anything that's a rough situation to be in that sucks but it's not the patient's fault um it's it's 
unfortunately that's sometimes where where it gets to um and then when it gets bad enough that's when you know you get your kind of mandatory forced hospitalizations and other things like that which is no no different um than if somebody passes out has a diabetic coma and then i have to have them in the hospital you know whether they are awake or not whether they are awake to sign the consent forms or not you know it 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 has to happen because there's a point at which you become essentially unconscious you're awake right but you're so depressed and so suicidal that you are now unconscious of what is happening to you it's like going into a diabetic coma so I, I tend to make those comparisons because um that can also protect people from jumping right away to hey I need a pill because I've also had patients who um they don't want to go to any kind of therapy they only want a pill and the issue with that is you are temporarily changing the um, concentration of different neurotransmitters in your brain, but you're not rewiring the neuronal pathways that are releasing those neurotransmitters. And at some point in your life, some kind of pattern created um, these pathways in your brain and if you can rewire them you will be more resilient in the future um, there's one uh, therapy technique called cbt um, which has been shown to be are you familiar with that one i'm very familiar with that one actually yeah i've that's... Uh, i've been through several several courses of it uh personally and have found it single-handedly like the best uh uh treatment for you know what I was going through. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. It's it's the only um, it's one of the very it's the only technique um, that has been validated that's been actually compared head to head with medications alone and found to be effective or more effective than medications alone. That was Death and the Doctor: The Art of Killing a Physician Slowly. If you like this show, go ahead and subscribe to Emergency Exit Podcast Network wherever you get your pods. Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, wherever. Just make sure you hit subscribe. Stay up to date with all of our latest and greatest content. listening to this episode of Death and the Doctor. I'm Jen Finelli, the licensed physician voice behind um, the series. Mental health care is very important to me because of the only personal trauma that I have dealt with and because of the impact I've seen on my patients. So if you or a loved one are at risk, um, the phone number for the suicide helpline is 1-800-273-8255. Or for the crisis text line, you can text HOME, that's H-O-M-E, or Hotel Oscar Mike Echo, to 741-741 in the U.S., or 686-868 in Canada. I also went ahead and, along with the Emergency um, Exit Podcast Network, we've gone ahead and affiliated with BetterHelp.com. In these current times, it can be difficult to go out to find a therapist, and a lot of times people's insurance doesn't always cover what they need. There are cheap and affordable uh, 
therapist options at BetterHelp. And like I always tell my patients, if you need to fire your therapist and pick another one, you always can. You always should take care of picking the therapist that's best for you. But if you would like to take advantage of our 10% offer, um, we do have a special link for you at hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com slash s-h-d-y. That's hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com slash s-h-d-y. So that link is also going to be in the description of every episode. So one more time, in order to get 10% off of your teletherapy so that you can take care of yourself effectively, um, please go to hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com slash S as in Sierra, H as in Hotel, D as in Delta, and Y as in Yankee. And this has offers tracking with an S. I really hope that you find that helpful. And if not, do what you need to do to try to find care in the area near you. It's also always a viable option if you have a well-trained chaplain um, or you have a well-trained school counselor. Sometimes they can get you the help that you need as well. Every single person, whether a counselor or a pastor or a school counselor or a therapist, can sometimes be hit and miss because the evidence shows that the biggest thing that makes a difference for patients actually getting better is if you have a good rapport with the therapist. So if it's not working, get a different one. It's okay. A professional isn't going to be offended. What I like about being able to use BetterHelp.com is you have an enormous network of therapists all over the world that you can use to help you out. Um, it is U.S.-based company, and while I can't give you some kind of insurance referral or anything like that to them, this affiliate link is a great way to both support the show and do what you need to do to make sure that you're healthy to be able to help other people. Thank you very much for listening to the show, and have good adventures. Adventures.